Welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith, and on this episode, I'm joined by former Supreme Court of Canada Justice, the Honorable Michelle Bastarash. The focus of our conversation is his report from late last year, Broken Dreams, Broken Lives, that documents sexual harassment, intimidation, and discrimination in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Mr. Bastarash served for over a decade at the Supreme Court. He's been a lifelong and passionate advocate for language rights, and he's continued his public service beyond his role on our top court in a number of different ways over the years, including in Kenya's constitutional reform, in the compensation of sexual abuse victims in the Catholic Church, and most recently for the historic Merlot-Davidson settlement and his 50 recommendations to reform the RCMP. Over the past four years, Mr. Bastarash has heard from hundreds of former female RCMP employees about their terrible, and in some cases, criminal treatment, which culminated in his devastating final report that our federal government and the RCMP leadership need to address in a serious way. Mr. Bastrash, thanks so much for joining me. Glad to be here. You wrote a pretty damning report, Broken Dreams, Broken Lives, outlining the incredibly toxic culture in the RCMP. To set the stage, walk us through some of those findings and just the level of toxicity and misogyny and homophobia that you found. Well, I guess the main thing is that uh, I never thought it was so prevalent that it would exist in all provinces, all territories, and basically at every level of the hierarchy. Uh, I also didn't expect that it would be so violent. I mean, uh, I gave the example of 32 rapes, but the uh, the harassment took uh, on very uh, physical things and put these women in danger in many instances, for instance, in not providing backup uh, just to punish them or to uh, force them to get into fights to show that they're capable of defending themselves as well as the men. It was something also that was unforgiving. I mean, if a woman complained, she was mistreated for complaining. Even if she uh, would go before a grievance committee and which would found in her favor, then there'd be retaliation against her. It would affect not only her well-being and her performance, but it would affect her career. They'd block training, they'd block promotions, just just like that. And it became impossible also to start afresh in another province because if she applied and got a transfer, then they would, the, the people who weren't happy with her would call those people that are supposed to be greeting her and warn them and, and sort of set the stage for more harassment. You and your team conducted 644 interviews and assessed over 3,000 claims. And you've said these aren't a few bad apples. These are hundreds of bad apples. Oh, yes. I've got a list, of course, of every man that was uh, said to have uh, caused uh, harassment. In that list, there's at least 50 of them that I remember were. Uh, found responsible for harassment five times, ten times, wow. or, or in five uh, different provinces. They move them around when there's a problem instead of uh, firing them or really punishing them for, for this misconduct. 
I was struck that notion of moving them around as the punishment, which only really inflicts further harm on people in a different geography. And you compared it to the process by which priests were moved when allegations of sexual abuse were, were levied at them in the Catholic Church. And you are well-placed to understand that comparison, given not only have you dealt with claims pursuant to the RCMP, but you previously had dealt with claims pursuant to the Catholic Church. Yes, that's right. In New Brunswick, both uh, in the north and the south of New Brunswick. And it was pretty much the same uh, with regard to uh, displacing them. Uh, here in the RCMP, the problem was uh, you wouldn't want the woman who has been harassed to continue to work for the person who's harassing her. Because in most cases, you know, it's someone higher up that is causing this this grief. And you would think that there would be some kind of supervision that would stop this. But you know, what I was told by many women is that it won't happen because in the RCMP, there's a great number of levels. Everybody's always applying for a promotion because that's the only way to get more salary. And if you're in charge of a precinct and you've got, uh, I don't know, 20 men working for you or 20 officers working for you and that there are complaints, well, then you're not seen as a good manager. It's going to affect your promotion. So basically, they'd rather not interfere, let things go. And well, you know, when, when you talk about that, you'd think, well, these are things that happen once in a while or something like this. But this isn't once in a while. This is really systemic. Systemic, not only in terms of just the number of occasions, but you also say it's toxicity at all ranks and in all provinces and territories. You refer to doctors, which is just unbelievable. You refer to instructors. And then you also note all of the assessors were told stories of claimants being removed for courses or not allowed to go on courses as a form of reprisal for not agreeing to sexual relationships with supervisors. So not only is it pervasive across the country, it's pervasive at all ranks. That's right. And there are uh, special units in the RCMP that are seen as, you know, the, the top performers or the more important people. And that's where the toxicity is worse, because I guess a lot of these men think they're above the law. You know, there was a saying in the RCMP, I heard it many, many times. They say there's uh, the lawful, the unlawful, the right way, the wrong way, and the RCMP way. And that's the RCMP way that counts. And if it's illegal, too bad. And this is why, you know, I, I came to the uh, recommendation that there should be a look at all of the system of the RCMP. Because uh, I, I've, I was a uh, witness here to many, many situations uh, of illegal conduct by the RCMP officers. Of course, it's illegal to do the type of harassment, but I mean illegal conduct in their general work. And uh, I don't know how important it is, but what I'm told is that when they decide to do something like that, they just think they're authorized to do it, that it's, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like police car doesn't have to stop at red lights. I was a member of the Public Safety Committee in the last parliament, and we had then Commissioner Bob Paulson before us. And I asked him about an independent third-party claims process. 
And the commissioner sort of dismissed the idea saying, well, they could complain to you. They could complain to anyone. And I thought that's a bizarre answer and a flippant answer to give to suggest there shouldn't be this independent third party process to hold our CMP officers accountable for wrongdoing. And yet in your report, you go through the need for a much stronger independent mechanism to hold RCMP officers accountable and for there to be real punishment because the status quo is a fear of reprisal from the, on the complainant side, but zero fear of consequences for those who have engaged in wrongful behavior. No, that's right. There's practically nothing with regard to uh, punishment. I've heard of many, many cases where people are suspended with pay. I mean, to me, that's a vacation. They're not really affected in their promotion. I I remember two or three cases of men who were subject of grievances, maybe five times, six times. And after the sixth time, they got a promotion. Wow. So it means basically that it doesn't really matter with regard to conduct because uh, it it, it sort of... uh, aside from the the general work of the RCMP and the promotion process. Well, just to stay on punishment, it's even more shocking when you look at the scale of illegal conduct. You you mentioned actual rape. I I had a note here that you reference evidence of 131 cases of outright rape that were reported for which only one person was actually brought to court. So you're, obviously all harassment is is wrong, but you're talking at a scale where individuals outside of the RCMP, if they were to engage in this behavior, would be going to jail for an extended period of time. Well, that's right. And you wonder, you know, if there's a rape in a province or in a city, why isn't the local police involved? Well, it's because the RCMP have friends in the local police. It's because they talk to each other. And there, there's, I don't know, you know, it, it's hard to tell, but because All I heard is, of course, the side of the story of the victims. And I know that it's prevalent in some areas because you have the same complaints that come over and over again by different people who don't know each other and weren't there at the same time. So so you you can't really brush it aside and say, oh, well, people exaggerate. People say this because they're malcontents. But it's not the case. And anyway, you know, you wouldn't have a conspiracy of 3,000 people. Right. That, the scale of the of the complaints puts a lie to the suggestion that this is a one-off situation or the complainant is making it up. You write, it is well past time for radical action, and then you go on to make over 50 recommendations. Do you think they would amount to that kind of radical action if they were all implemented? Well, the thing is... This is the 16th report that talks about this kind of harassment. Not all of them were dealing directly with it, but it was addressed 16 times. And every time the RCMP said, oh, we accept responsibility, we're going to do better, we're going to have a plan, but it continued all the time. So to me, it's obvious there wasn't any kind of political will to pressure the RCMP into action. So. This is why I think a lot of the women, especially those who were higher up in the organization, told me that there there should be a fundamental change in the governance of the RCMP. They say it's not possible that they're not informed, that they don't know. And if that's the case, it means they're not willing to act and, and to stop this. 
But I think it's difficult to stop when it's cultural. I think there's a big problem in the hiring process and the training process. And a lot of the very young women are abused when they're 20 years old and just starting off. And at 20 years old, you're pretty vulnerable, especially in an organization that has sort of a military uh, way of doing things. This notion of breaking one down and building one one up again, that paramilitary approach, uh, not to mention you're taking people out of their their homes, their communities, they're getting sent to a depot for training, and then they're going elsewhere, again, away from their community for further training through their first placement. And that vulnerability because of age exists regardless, but they're especially vulnerable given those additional factors. Yes. And, you know, for a very long period, they were sending these very young women who were just out of depot to very difficult places, especially northern Manitoba, northern Alberta, Northwest Territories, and Yukon. It's not an intelligent way to form them and to get them to to learn the, the trade. But I, I'm not an expert in policing. But why is it that there's only one model and that model looks like 1950 John Wayne? Well, you have called then for an in-depth, external and independent review of the organization and future of the RCMP as a federal policing organization. I take from your previous comments, though, it was the harassment claims that helped to form that view in part, but it wasn't only the harassment claims. No, no, because um, there was a tremendous problem with regard to uh, obtaining courses, obtaining training, obtaining promotions. It was, you know, who do you know? Who's your friend? A lot more than anything else. And basically, you can prevent someone entirely from getting promotions just by denying courses which are mandatory for the promotion. And uh, it didn't happen once in a while. That, that's the whole thing. It was, it was systemic. It was just going on all the time. And you have systemic sexual harassment. You have systemic racism. You have issues with respect to a national police force moving in to do effectively community policing, though they, the individual police officers may have no attachment whatsoever to that particular community, which can't possibly be a, a practically helpful way of, of policing at all. You say, I, I believe that true change can only take hold in the RCMP if independent external pressure is brought to bear on it. There are two tacks one, one can take here from a political point of view and from the minister's point of view. One is to say, we've got recommendations from Mr. Bastarash. We're going to implement the 50 recommendations. We're going to require the commissioner to have a real plan. We're going to give the resources to the commissioner and, and we're going to move forward with change and we're not going to have an independent, additional independent commission. Or you can say, actually, we don't trust in the RCMP to fix this for themselves, regardless of the resources and, and the goodwill of this current commissioner. And thankfully, we do have a new commissioner, but we do require independent oversight and we require an in, a new independent commission that is not only going to look at sexual harassment, but, it, but is going to look more holistically at how we put this police force on a firm footing for the future in an acceptable way. You've called for this latter view, I, I think, but, but the minister's office seems to favor the former view. Do you see a way forward as the minister approaches this? I think the minister is wrong because why, why would it be at the 16th time that it's going to produce a result? The, the problem is, you know, for instance, they tell me, well, you know, it's a matter of education. 
people should be better educated about the harm of the harassment. But do you think someone who's raping a woman doesn't know it's wrong? I mean, I don't think it's a question of education at all. I think it's a question of morality and understanding that being a police officer doesn't mean that you set aside all your values, all your community values. But I think when young men join, they're not, you know, there to harass people and and to uh, take on this type of conduct. But they see it around them, and it's peer pressure. And if you want to get promotions and get ahead, well, you can't be uh, fighting the system. So they really fall into this, and, uh, and, and then it becomes a very major problem because of the numbers. But when I talked about pressure, I thought there are two kinds. There's the pressure from the government who's responsible for this police force, but there's pressure from the public. And I, I, I'm quite discouraged at the fact that there is, to my mind, too small a reaction, because this is a very, very serious problem. I've been told that there are, over a few years, a thousand women that are on, on leave for all sorts of uh, medical reasons, especially psychological reasons. There are a number of them who committed suicide. Two women committed suicide during my mandate. Well, you just can't brush that aside. To me, it's just not possible. And when you call for that independent commission of inquiry, for the sake of argument, let's say that the minister does take you up on that recommendation and institutes an independent commission of inquiry to oversee all activities of the RCMP and to make recommendations for its future. Recommendations are made. Aren't we back to a similar space? Don't we know today enough of what needs to be done to, to force the RCMP to take action. What more would that independent commission of inquiry give us that we don't have today? Well, I think the commission of inquiry should look at all different possibilities, not just, you know, better education, better training. For instance, I personally think, I heard it from, from the women I interviewed, but I, I could understand what they're saying. They're saying, well, there should be one national police force something like the FBI, if you'd like, a model, where people would come in at 25 years old with a university degree and have uh, training not in depot style, but in a police academy style. And that would be people who would specialize in, in the kinds of things. And then you might have a different kind of policing uh, for the airports, for um, people coming in in the country or, or combating uh, terrorism. But I don't see municipal and provincial policing by these same people. I mean, what do you do? You, you do for 10 years uh, general policing in a small community, and then you move on to uh, uh, specializing in, in drugs and fraud. Well, what do you do? Take a few courses and then you're okay for that? I don't think so. This is why I, I'm not sure they're getting uh, value for their money with the kind of organization. So this is why I thought there should be an inquiry by people who are knowledgeable and uh, who would look at the better way of using those people and training them. If you were the minister, you would say, I'm going to today establish a commission of, of inquiry that will then provide recommendations for me to reform 
the RCMP and put it on a firmer footing into the future in the medium to long term. And in the short term, I'm going to implement these 50 recommendations as a stopgap measure and ensure that there's an incredibly strong complaints process and heads will roll where individuals have not only broken the values of the RCMP, but have broken the law. That's right. I, I didn't think that my recommendations alone were a solution, but I think there are absolutely necessary to deal with some of the present issues. And this is why I broke it down regarding the various functions of the RCMP and, and the factors that are responsible for some of the conduct that, that's going on. Have you spoken to the commissioner? Has the, has the commissioner reached out to say, I've read your report and we're aiming to implement these 50 recommendations and I want to work with you to, to get this done? Yes, I, I spoke to her once. I tried to explain the scope of, uh, of the problem and I told her if she wants to implement those recommendations, she still needs a, a stronger governance uh, function, a stronger internal uh, oversight, but that uh, it, it can't be done very efficiently if you've got in the system a great number of people who are going to resist this and who don't really think uh, it's that bad. You know? Right, who are... Who are either active participants in the wrongdoing or who have for years been, in your words, silent in the face of injustice. And either way, it's not easy to change the culture when it is hundreds of bad apples. That's it. And a lot of these bad apples are in management functions, high in the hierarchy. That's, that's a problem. If they're responsible for harassment themselves, even if it's quite a few years back, it's pretty difficult for them now to sort of uh, change because people know. So in the short term, among the many recommendations, there were some smaller recommendations to say we should require two years of post-secondary education for new recruits. But probably the biggest change in the short term would be a wholesale change of officials at the top. And, and the commissioner is obviously new. And there, I, I think, have been some changes at the top as far as it goes. But but wholesale reform at the top, systemic change at the top to, to address these systemic challenges. Yes. I, the commissioner told me that she was really committed to enforcing uh, the recommendations that deal with retaliation, for instance, which is making the whole complaint process worthless. And she told me she understands there has to be real sanctions, but she still uh, seems to believe that the system itself, I mean, the organization itself may not need to be uh, reformed that much. Right. And so all the more reason that someone in my shoes as a member of parliament ought to continue to push for a larger scale independent review that looks to much broader reform. I think so. I really appreciate your report. I think you are right that this demands public outcry and your report undoubtedly is a contribution to ensure that there is that kind of public outcry. And so I very much appreciate you doing the work. I can't imagine you've now gone through in a, in a lifetime of, of interesting work, but really hard work. You've heard hundreds of complaints from individuals subject to really serious harassment through the RCMP. But then I mentioned, obviously, hundreds of claims as well of, of horrendous conduct in the Catholic Church, too. So that, that has to take a toll on, on you as well. So I very much appreciate your work. I, uh, I personally did over 400 interviews lasting wow. an wow. hour, an hour and a half, two hours sometimes. And that was hard because the women I was meeting, of course, were those that were broken. 
that were in despair. And a lot of them were in terrible poverty because uh, they weren't there long enough to get a pension. And if you're 45 years old and, and you can't work anymore, what, what kind of future do you have? You're, you're depressed, uh, obviously. And when you're depressed, you, you find drugs or alcohol or something like that to, to try and, uh, and survive. And that's another thing. They haven't been giving the kind of medical support that is needed because uh, they're reacting too late. They come in when the women are already broken. But there must be signs and there should be testing. And better supports on the way out, given the RCMP is ultimately responsible for that damage to making sure that they are supporting women and coping with that damage is undoubtedly necessary, too. Well, I, I, I honestly, I, I just really appreciate you telling those stories and highlighting those stories and giving me material that I can take and, and use in my own advocacy to improve and, and reform the RCMP as, as much as we possibly can. So I really appreciate your work. Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I, I do hope people will take notice and uh, and will talk to people like you and, and get the kind of support they need. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Uncommons. You know, this question of RCMP reform, this idea that there are hundreds of bad apples in the RCMP is just a really hard it's a really hard idea to shake, and I'm going to continue to engage with Mr. Blair and his team. For future episodes, if you have an idea for a guest or a topic, do reach out info at beynate.ca, or you can contact me on social media, beynate, as simple as that. For future episodes, do remember to subscribe at uncommons.ca. Leave a positive review if you can, if you like what we're doing on your platform of choice. And otherwise, I, I just really appreciate you joining and growing our audience. And until next time.